Welcome to Communication on Point. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. This program is designed to bring insights and perspectives that help you grow your influence and increase your leadership. And today is no exception. I'm pleased to be joined by my guest, Becky Robinson. Becky is the founder of the digital marketing firm, Weaving Influence. As an organization, they focus on helping authors build their audience and get the message about their works out to the world. Becky shares some helpful insights, even if you aren't an aspiring author, of what it takes to build a following and ways to think about publishing in maybe different ways than you had before. Thanks for joining me on this journey and this excellent conversation with Becky Robinson. Let's get started. Well, today I'm excited to have Becky Robinson from Weaving Influence join us. Becky, thank you so much for being on Communication on Point. It is so fun to be here, Dean. Thank you. I am so looking forward to our conversation because when I think about communication, the ultimate form of deep and thoughtful communication is the book. And the work that your organization does is all about bringing that to life in a professional and an amazing way for whether it's first-time authors or authors that have been around for decades. But for most people, that world is very misunderstood. We don't really understand what happens behind the scenes. It seems far away, like some New York thing that happens at a big publishing company. And I'd like to start with giving some insight on what are some of the big myths and misconceptions when it comes to those of us out here in the world that you know maybe have in our mind I'd like to write a book. Sure. I'm happy to dive into that with you, Dean. And the first thing that I'll say, uh, what came to my mind when you were introducing the topic is this idea that there are many of us out there who hold on to the dream of writing and publishing a book. And so if you're listening today and that's you, I think it's not uncommon, you know, that we kind of grow up and we think, oh, I'll write a book someday. And one of the misconceptions I encounter frequently is the idea that once you write the book, it will automatically and magically find an audience. Uh, and I've even had people say that to me. Um, you know, they say, well, I thought it, I would just put the book up on Amazon and people would find it and buy it. So one of the major misconceptions is that the hard work of publishing is writing the book. Um, and what I find in my experience is, yes, writing a book is hard work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. Sometimes if you're self-publishing or hybrid publishing, it might cost you a lot of money. And that's really only the beginning of the investment that getting a book read in the world requires. So the major misconception is, you know, if you write it, people will read it. Um, and what I've seen is that there's a lot of work that has to go into amplifying a book, finding an audience for a book, creating value uh, with a book. I think another misconception that I don't want to spend a lot of energy on right now, Dean, is that uh, writing books is a way to make money. There is a very small segment of the population who can make significant income from writing a book. Most people who write a book need to have some other goal besides making money. Yeah, that's a key point because it, it and, and probably the same issue on things like social media or different places, there's a big difference between and being known and it turning into profit for you. So that's uh, certainly a, a good one. And I, I do want to dive into that first point you made, this 
this magic, this amazing thing will happen if I do the hard work of creating the thing. And it, it feels like this mousetrap illusion, right? If we create and invent a better mousetrap, that the world's going to beat a path to our door. But like any business that we go into, it's really about creating awareness. So let's dive into that a little bit. And it's interesting because you're creating something in your books that is about communication. But the real work is the communication that has to happen for people to even know and take action to encounter your book. So let's let's dive into that. You said the hard work is really getting people to know about it. What goes into that? Let's say I have this book in me. I'm thinking about you know getting these ideas on paper and I'll upload it to Amazon and then these amazing things will happen. I can tell my friends and they're going to tell their friends, but that's not how it works. Uh, maybe walk me through some of the process or some of the, 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 the cold water that you can throw on me to help me understand what does it really take uh, to be successful, whatever success is. And maybe that's part of the, the question we have to ask ourselves. Uh, definitely so. And I'm happy to walk you through that, Dean. And what I want to say first in framing this is that most of my comments right now are addressed to people in the business world who have a nonfiction book that they're aspiring to write. Similar ideas apply if you have a story that you want to tell, whether that's a memoir, also nonfiction, or a fiction book. Um, but for the purposes of this conversation, I'd like to stay focused on nonfiction books and what it really takes to be able to find an audience for them. So typically, if you have a nonfiction book, it's, it's based on some ideas or areas of expertise that you have. When I think about how someone goes about sharing their expertise, one of the things that's true is that if you're an expert, likely there are people who know that you're an expert or who have gotten value from you along the way. And where I often see a disconnect is that people think that their real life experience or expertise will translate into everyone clamoring to buy their book. But most of us do have a limited sphere of influence with those people who know and interact with us in day-to-day -day life. So in 2021, one of the most important things that any person can do if they want to build traction for their ideas is to build a reputation online. Because online, there are no barriers. You know, anyone could discover you if, you're, if you have created something of value. A term that I use to describe this sharing of expertise in online spaces is thought leadership. And Dean, I hope that people will hear that in order to be a thought leader online, you have to share your thoughts online. So what, what this means is, you know, it's great to work toward a book and offering a book for sale online. But authors need to consider, or aspiring authors need to consider, beginning to share their thoughts online long before the book comes to life. And that can look like, you know, there's a variety of different ways that that can be expressed. So uh, if you have expertise about a certain area, you can begin by simply sharing in social media posts about that area of expertise. Or you could choose to invest in writing a blog and putting out articles on a regular basis. You could create videos. You know, video is a, is a really great avenue for people expressing their ideas. But the general idea is you show up with value. You communicate your ideas clearly. You help people to understand the value that you're going to bring. And you hopefully through that promote it in such a way that you drive an audience to interact with you, to appreciate the content that you're creating to follow your work. You want to build community around your ideas. 
so that when you get to the finish line of having a book to offer to the world, you have people who have received value from you all along the way. So another favorite thing I like to say, Dean, is in order to extract value, you first have to add value. So the idea of selling a book is a place where you're looking to extract value. You want people to pay money for the ideas that you've put into this book. Um, and in order to get people ready um, to hand over their hard-earned dollars to buy your book, you have to first have proven and added value to them over time so that they know that the book is something uh, that will benefit them in some way. So it sounds like the mindset we can keep is, have I earned the right to have them buy my book? Yes, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that done well, it's not even really about earning it. It's, it's more about, have I created a quality of relationships with people so that they know me, they trust me, they're aware of me, I'm memorable to them, and I'm creating this desire for them to dig in deeper to what I've been sharing. That makes sense. So when we think about this, I would bet that when people come to you, they maybe have a book idea and you help them through that whole process of you know, making it look beautiful and letting the world know about it. But I would bet that you have people that when you ask them, who is this book for? They say things like, um, well, for, for leaders or for managers or for entrepreneurs. Is that kind of the vague audience you get? And, and how do we think in terms of getting really clear on who our audience is that this book is for? Well, you know what's funny about that, Dean, actually, the thing that I hear most often when I ask who is this book for is everyone, mm. which is really the most unhelpful response there is, right? There isn't any any book, you know, save a, a few. There really isn't any any one book that is for everyone. And, you know, having such a broad audience in mind doesn't help at all. I think most authors would do well to identify one person that their book is for, not saying that they're writing the book for one person only, but the more specific you can be in crafting your message, the more you'll be able to find the reader uh, that you intend it to be for. And I think sometimes people who aspire to write books get in their own way because they want to believe you know, that there's this massive audience for their book. And they may be more successful in reaching the right audience if they can really hone in on a, a more specific audience. So I don't really find, you know, this book is for all leaders or this book is for all managers. I don't, I don't really take too much issue with that. But I do think that it's easier to craft clear communication and content when we know more about the more narrow audience that we want to reach. So get specific about the who and what the problem is that they're uh, that they're dealing with. When you look at, think about the the dozens and hundreds of people that you've helped, and you you can probably group them into you know the twenty percent over here that have been wildly successful and and everything has just been amazing, and you get the twenty percent on the other end that's like this just did not go over well. What are those things that are in that space that really separate in your clients, the people that you work with? It's really separated the ones that have really taken off, that have really found traction from the rest. So I think that one of the most critical factors is consistency in online presence. So I think about a client of ours. So um, when I first met Julie, she had not 
done a ton of work to develop online thought leadership. We worked together for several months before she brought her first book to market and she developed a personal brand website and she started a blog and she started posting on social media and making connections with people. What I admire about the approach that Julie took is that when the book had come out and launched successfully, she didn't stop. So she continued all the investment in sharing content through her blog and sharing articles on other online sites and sharing on social media. Julie just kept showing up week after week, after month, after month, after year, after year. And I've now known Julie, you know, close to nine years. And what's remarkable is that consistency in creating and sharing content of value with her audiences. So it sounds like for her, the launch of the book wasn't a culmination of effort. It was actually just a part of the continuation that she kept on rolling with well beyond that. Yes, that is correct. And I think anyone who wants to have success in terms of their ideas getting traction really needs to have a long-term view. And so, you know, any of the other authors that might come to my mind who have stood out as having a great impact with their ideas, the, the main thing that is clear is that they have a long-term commitment to the message of their book, to the ideas in their book, to the communities they want to serve. And what they're not doing is showing up right before the book comes out with a lot of effort and then disappearing as soon as the excitement of the launch is gone. Um, I have served some clients over the years who, who have been more intermittent in their showing up, potentially, you know, investing in their online presence in the months surrounding a new book coming out. And what I find is that while they may have some intermediate success for each book, what isn't happening is the cumulative results that would come if they had showed showed up more consistently across time. Yeah, it's like anything, any any business, any skill that you're building, it's the mundane little things that nobody sees that if done consistently accumulate into the success and so people can become an overnight success 10 years later. Well, yes. In fact, you know, I've, I've looked a little bit. Um, a lot of people hold up Brene Brown as having the type of thought leadership that they aspire to. Um, many of my authors, you know, when I ask them about their goals, they'll say, like, I want to be like Brene Brown. And I remember reading some information in one of Brene's books. And, you know, prior to her widespread kind of fame in, in the business spaces in which she's known, she was investing in her online presence, in her content creation, in her research, in her business for 16 years. Mm. So we look at someone like Brene, we assume that their success was you know, easily earned and we're not really recognizing the long-term investment they've made. I always thought it was just because of the little accent mark above her name. <laughs> That, that she got famous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think a first-time author who expects that that first book is going to be the one that catapults them to fame and fortune is really holding on to unrealistic expectations. You know, it's sometimes it's not book one, it's not book two, it's not book three. You know, it, it really is uh, the long-term cumulative effect of adding value to others that results in recognition for one's ideas and uh, wider awareness for one's work. This is a, just a, a curiosity for me. You've seen uh, and worked with so many 
uh, authors and you, you've seen the process over and over and over. And you think about this concept of deep smarts, you know, our ability to see things very quickly. How good of a handle uh, are you, do you feel like you have on being able to interact with a new author and get a sense right away, like, this is going to be good. This is going to be the real deal. Or do you still get surprised in what turns into, you know, a, a hit or a success over the course of time versus what ended up just not really coming to life? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. And, um, you know, I think that it's challenging at times. I can get a good sense right away if someone is willing to put in the work required. Um, I typically look for a realistic assessment of what's possible. And I find that people who can stay in that realistic space and realize that it's going to be hard work typically are the ones who have the better outcomes. Um, and I definitely have red flags at times when I meet someone and they say something that seems completely impossible to me. Um, I, I never want to be the wet blanket who's, you know, bringing people back down to earth or squashing their dreams. Um, but I think sometimes those unrealistic expectations can be harmful to an author on the journey um, because they may feel like if they can't reach that big goal that they have, uh, that the results that they have incrementally along the way are not as meaningful. And I think it's it's really helpful. I get a sense that people will be successful when when they have a more accurate assessment of, of what's possible um, while still aspiring to those big goals. You know, as people are listening to this, you know, so here we are, we're talking to Becky Robinson. She's had all of this experience with her organization, weaving influence about publishing books and putting books together in a way that that really are professional and getting the word out and helping authors. And for me, let's say I'm listening to this and I'm I'm thinking, I've got this thought leadership, I've got this content, uh, you know, I want to share it with the world. Is there is there a way where I should be thinking in terms of maybe this isn't a book, maybe this is just um, a course or a white paper, or uh, maybe it's some other type of medium. How do I determine what what should warrant the effort that goes into a book versus uh, maybe other mediums or other platforms of getting that message out to the world? Wow, that's a great question. Um, and I think one that's likely different depending upon uh, the person who's asking it. But in order to be set up for success, I would certainly say there are some basic milestones that I would encourage someone to meet before they choose to bring a book into the world. And, you know, I have people write to me sometimes and say, hey, I've always dreamed of writing a book. And one of the things I'll ask them is, where are you sharing your ideas currently? Because if they say, I'm not sharing my ideas anywhere, then what I really want to see them do is to start to experiment, to start to share their ideas in other formats so they can get some feedback, so they can see how their ideas are received, and so they can start to build communities so that when they have a book ready, they'll have a, a greater likelihood of reaching the audiences that they, that they want to reach. So I would say one way of coming to an answer about, is it time for me to write a book or not, is, is to look for some of these basic things like you may not be ready to write a book if you don't have a website. You may not be ready to write a book if you don't have a permission-based email list, which is basically, you know, something that you can prepare so that when you have a book 
to launch, you can go out to the people who have said, yes, it's okay to market to me. Um, and that might be a longer conversation, Dean. You know, if I don't have any online presence, you know, if, if someone were to Google my name and not be able to find me, it may not be time to write a book. And, you know, quite often a traditional publisher is using that a set of criteria to decide whether to invest in a book. So I think, Dean, you're talking about, you know, people choosing to self-publish and anybody can self-publish a book and there's a very low barrier to entry, but, you know, it may not have the impact that they want. So I think if, if authors could use for themselves a similar criteria to what a traditional publisher might use to decide whether it's time to publish a book or not, the people who got to that stage of bringing a book to life would be more successful ultimately. Those are good tips and good kind of uh, self-checklist to think in terms of, of when am I ready and am I ready yet and what are some of the things that need to be in place. And what I was thinking about when you're explaining that is it's really applying the lean startup concept. So in starting up a business, there is a whole set of tools and, and processes that startups use along the way to really dial in you know, the clarity of the problem and the solution and who's my buyer and what are they willing to pay. And a lot of those same insights are very much in tune with what you're describing about getting ready for writing a book or launching a book. Because in a way, you're creating this, this thing just like a business, even though it's a part of, a, of your business. It has its own identity and its own life of itself that you need to make sure, you know, <laughs> is anybody going to read it? Is there a need for it? And all of those things. So that's very cool. So here's a question for you. You know, over the last uh, 20 years, we've continually heard about the, the death of the book, right? The end, the end of the paper book and paper publishing and traditional publishing and all of those things. And I'd be curious from you, what does the future of the world of publishing look like when it comes to things like books and distributing ideas? What do you see on the horizon? What should we be getting ready for and thinking about? Wow, that's a really big question. I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer it, uh, but I will tell you a few things that I'm seeing happening. You know, as much as people say that the print book is dying, what I'm noticing is that, you know, people like my children's age really do still prefer paper books. And I don't think that reading is ever going to go away. Um, we all, you know, right now, there are lots of different ways that people can consume content and can learn and can be entertained. And, you know, many of us do prefer to learn and consume content through the written word. So I don't think books are going away. I think that we may see some, some shift in how people buy books and how people discover books. And I know, you know, as of this conversation, Dean, that the COVID crisis and recent events have really put a significant strain on traditional brick and mortar bookstores and independent stores. But I think at some point, you know, Amazon's rule over book selling um, may be disrupted as people choose instead to find a way to keep traditional brick and mortar independently owned bookstores alive. And I love seeing what bookshop.org is doing to help people connect in a seamless way to buying books from those independent stores. So I think that that may be something that's ahead. You know, those of us who aspire to conscious capitalism. You know, I hear lots of people having conversations about, you know, is there a way to launch and market books beyond Amazon? 
and Amazon, you know, obviously has so many uh, great benefits in terms of ease of shipping and low prices and, you know, just kind of this frictionless shopping experience. Uh, but I do think that there may be in the near future, you know, authors looking for alternative ways to get their books into the world. I also think that one of the gaps currently is the overwhelm of the number of books that that are self-published. And it's really difficult and noisy when authors are self-publishing to find a space and a place for their work. So one of the things that I expect is that uh, book marketing will continue to become difficult, that this idea of building thought leadership and building community and adding value may result in some more small niche titles where, you know, authors decide to bring a book to market for the 300 or 2,000 people who are, are already following them. You know, I'm curious to see what impact kind of crowdfunding may have in the publishing world. And I've seen over the past decade, you know, some authors go about bringing a book to life by looking for people who would choose to invest in the idea and use that as a vetting factor. Um, and I, I haven't really seen it take off yet, uh, but that is something potentially in the future that could be a trend that could could take off. I think the, the thing that I would most like to figure out as it relates to publishing and marketing is, you know, what's the best way for people to wade through the massive number of books that are published every day, week, and year? And what's the best way for that great content to find its way to the surface and be appreciated and enjoyed? Yeah. And that's, those are uh, great perspectives. And I appreciate you sharing that because um, it is noisy out there and it's, you know, the world of the long tail concept that we have where you have very few of many things. And uh, that seems to highlight what you said earlier about the importance of building our audience, creating our tribe, the people that follow our thought leadership and having access and information that goes directly to them and not relying on just hopefully showing up on somebody's search on Amazon and that they suddenly decide to buy 100 copies of of our work the the odds are pretty slim of that as we as we kind of bring the pieces together here and we think about this world I'd love for you to maybe highlight something that for you you feel is is a key point or something that's really important for a listener to be thinking about when it comes to their message, you know, this type of medium of, of books or, or anything around thought leadership that you'd like to highlight for us? Dean, I want to wrap this all up by referring to some advice I gave earlier, which is in order to be a thought leader online, you need to share your thoughts online. And one of the things I've noticed is that you can really never give away too much in your quest to add value to the world. So if you have ideas to share, share them. Share them in whatever way you can to the communities or individuals who are following you so that you create this thought leadership point of view. People become people come to know you for your expertise. People come to remember you for your expertise. And as you add value over time, you will begin to get a clear idea of the book that you want to write, and you'll begin to draw the people around you who want to read the book. And that's really a long-term investment. And the more you can prepare the better outcome you'll have when the book is ready. And I can use my own story as an example of that. Dean, I think from the time I knew how to read, I've always wanted to write a book. And particularly when I began to work with authors and partner with them in marketing their books and bringing their books to life, you know, that 
desire became even greater within me. And in the meantime, a decade has passed. And I'm grateful, honestly, that I haven't written the book yet because everything I've done in creating thought leadership content and connecting with others and building communities, I think has prepared me and honed and refined my ideas so that when I do bring my book into the world, you know, I've basically lived a life that's a demonstration of what it might take. And, you know, does that mean I'm going to have a wildly successful book? Frankly, I don't know. But I do know that when I write the book, it will have meaning for those people who have been following me and connecting with me over this past 10 years. Well, and that's tremendous advice. You know, there's a time and a season for everything. And there is that point where you're ready with enough credibility and experience and perspective to have that leadership in the message of the book and give you the confidence to really sit down and, and create it with that sense of, I am, because of my experience and perspective, being helpful to people. Now, for you, Becky, I would encourage that maybe that little accent above one of your letters, maybe that will be helpful. <laughs> you know, it's something to consider. Yeah, we all want to be Brene Brown, don't we? And if only that accent could do the trick. Well, we, we, we haven't proven that it won't. So um, tell us a little bit, we haven't talked a lot about uh, weaving influence and what it is. And then if people want to learn more about your work, uh, your company's work, give us some direction on where to go. Sure. So um, you can find out everything about Weaving Influence at our website, weavinginfluence.com. We are primarily a digital marketing agency, and we focus on partnering with authors to help reach audiences with their books. Um, we do have a, um, a service area around book production where we partner with authors to bring their books um you know, put them in print and on Kindle and all those various formats. And along the way, I certainly have advised authors about publishing choices and determining whether traditional publishing or self-publishing or hybrid publishing is the right path for them. So anything related to an author, I'm always happy to explore with folks. And we do also uh, support organizations and nonprofits with their marketing efforts as well, Dean. I also have a website that I started called Hometown Reads. Uh, you can find it at hometownreads.com. And at hometownreads.com, we are featuring authors for free by their location. So we're in about 120 locations and authors can add their books to Hometown Reads for free um, as a way of reaching more readers with their work. If people want to know about me personally and my journey as a thought leader and as an entrepreneur, I also uh, share some thoughts at beckyrobinson.com. So all three of those websites are places where people can find out more about me and the work that our companies do in the world. Well, that's awesome. And I'll have links in the show notes for all of those places if, uh, if you missed them. And Becky Robinson, thank you so much for the insights, uh, for your words of wisdom today. This has been a, such an informative conversation about this mysterious world of, of book publishing. And I love the hometownreads.com concept. And, you know, books are about community. And it's it sounds like a really cool concept of increasing that type of community to come around those authors and those ideas. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, Dean. 